and welcome to the Bridging the Gap podcast. I'm Josh. And this is Max. And we're excited once again to be bringing you uh, an album that is very important to one of us, perhaps to both of us. In this case, um, it was my decision this week. We went with um, Green Day's American Idiot, which uh, definitely has a special role in my heart. Um, I chose it uh, just for a variety of reasons. It brings back a lot of nostalgia. In fact, it... um, brings back uh, quite a bit of baby, 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 infant, um, Max nostalgia, among other things. Uh, Max, do you have anything to say about this this particular album as we're getting started? Um, I feel like the most important thing to say is that Green Day was a massive musical influence on me when I was in middle school. And I didn't actually know I'm going to find out whatever this baby, baby Max story is too with you guys. All right. All right. Well, so um, for me, okay, so so Green Day was also really, really huge with me in, um, I would say it was in my senior year, um, shortly after I started playing guitar, um, the album Dookie came out and was um, quite, quite popular. And um, I've never been, although I've played guitar for a very long time, one of the shortcomings that I've always had has been my, my ears in terms of hearing and being able to like like learn a song by ear and all of the songs on dookie were so immediately i'm going to use the word again i think i there we should be giving awards for how often this word is used on this podcast but so approachable bingo right 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 exactly yeah yeah i hope no one's doing a drinking game because there's going to be some trouble (laughs) um but no um so and in a in a succession um the albums that came out were dookie um, Insomniac and um, Nimrod. And um, those all came out over the course of my college years as I was still learning to play guitar. And I would say that I've probably played by ear to more Green Day songs than any other artist. Spent more hours learning and playing those albums like in succession. And I wanna say that Nimrod came out in either 97 or 98. That's the dog. That's the dog. Sorry, it's not quite professional yet. But in either 97 or 98, and um, it really felt like Green Day had had peaked at that time. And um, so um, they had another album that came out uh, called Warning. Um, and then it had a couple of hit singles, but I, I kind of fell a lot, fell off. And um, I fell well, and in. And then after Warning, I believe, was Shenanigans, which was the real bomb. Yeah, was was shenanigans? Was it a B side collection? Was it was it an actual album? Do you know? I will double check that right. Yeah, now. yeah, I'm pretty sure. Sh- I'm pretty sure that that was a, a best of. I know that a best of did come out before American Idiot, and for most artists, it is accomplished. Okay, yeah, for most artists, a, um, a greatest hits album indicates that your best material is behind you. And um, over the course of this time, prior to American Idiot, I kind of fell into this hole of listening to live bootlegs. I got into Fish and the Grateful Dead, Neil Young, various others. And so my the entirety of my listening between, say, 2000 and probably practically 2006 was um, live music, live versions of songs that I'd already known. So I, I'd really fallen off any sort of studio album um, interest. And I had a very, very close friend who we were hoping would be able to participate. His name is, I, 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 I will protect his anonymity and just use the term Jimbo. And um, my buddy Jimbo uh, was turning 30 
And we, we felt like that was really significant. He was very, you know, old, practically, you know, on the verge of death. And so for his 30th birthday, we, um, well, I, I was, I was student teaching at the time and I actually took a day off from student teaching and we went wine tasting and he was like, there's this, this album by Green Day. You've got it. You, you've got to listen to it. It's so good. And, um, Jimbo and I actually, we saw Green Day on the Insomniac tour. And so we both had these very fond memories and, um, I, it is so ingrained in my memory of that, that trip. And um, it was just, it was just a day trip. And I remember um, coming home and um, the, the, the gentleman that you hear next to me was probably three and a half, four months old. And for some reason that, that there is, I, I have this distinct a uh, very tangible memory of uh, associating this song with that experience and with with baby max because um baby max also at the time um oh, he he was not really communicating very much but um we kind of had a weekly date with jimbo and as max became a little bit older and Jimbo would bring over wine that um, it was known as Jimmy Juice, and also and so like I said, <laughs> so it does. Like I said, it, it holds a special place in in my mind um, beyond beyond the music, but um, the. Um, uh the barrier that i would have put up to studio album was uh, was very very strong and this more than met my hopes or criteria and i think part of it is and we're going to get into this is that one of the things that i grew to like about the live music that i was listening to and jam bands in particular was that they engaged in what i describe as song sandwiches and that means a song that begins as one song and then becomes another and I think that even um, some of the single tracks that are not song sandwiches on here have that same sense to them that there's a distinct break during different uh, parts of the song. And so that's one of the other things that, that I remember very fondly about it. Yeah, um, this, this band as a whole for me was, is, is so influential. And so th this album, I was only really familiar with the five singles that came from it, like to the point where... I think actually the other tracks I hadn't really given an honest listen to any of them. And so, but of, I adored it. These were, these were some of, there was a time in my life where if you asked me, I would have said Boulevard of Broken Dreams was my favorite song of all, of all time. Sweet. Okay. So, well, I was going to say also that for me, this was a time when I was particularly politically active, again, vaguely associated with Max that um when when max was first born um he th there was a uh, radio station called air america radio and this was a time where um george w bush was not the most popular person in the world and he was um running for re-election for president and so i think that some of these themes the themes of alienation and such and even the term um american idiot I, I think had an association with George W. Bush or the embracing of George oh, W. Bush. Um, yeah, we'll we'll get into that. Well, with well, the actual say, um, Billy Joe Armstrong repeatedly in many interviews has cited Bush as his primary as a primary inspiration for his um, for, for for the views that are thrown in the, for the views that are set in this album. 
Right. That Bush was a, was a massive influence. Right. And and you know, this is definitely a musical podcast and it's not meant to be political at all, but I can't help but reflect on the last few years and think how naive I was to um, think that George W. Bush was, was capable of so much damage as compared to what has come before. And you can make your own predictions as to which president uh, it is that I'm speaking of, but I, I just, I almost look back on that uh, youthful vitality and sense of of anger at the man, so to speak, uh, with definitely with with rose colored glasses. Is there is there anything else that you have to say about the the background? I think that well, I think that the first really important thing to say is that this did come after what can only be described as a commercial bomb. With both shenanigans and uh, and the previous one, which I can't remember. Well, with, it, with, with, well, with the previous original album. Well, yeah. Well, here's the thing about that too: that one of the reasons why I thought that it was pretty much the end, not just the best of, not just the shenanigans, but um, during I, I want to say that during the Nimrod tour, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm pretty sure it was Nimrod. They had Blink 182 opening up for them, and on the Warning tour, they were opening up. For Blink 182, uh-huh. and so it was, it, it was definitely a, a, a reversal of fortunes. And I was never really a big Blink 182 fan myself. I always felt like they were, I felt like they were ripping off Green Day. I know plenty of people who like them and would disagree with that, and might say Green Day's ripping off someone else, and they're both ripping off the same person or whatever. But something about that melodic pop punk sensibility, um, I, I I was always more gravitated towards Green Day, but it really did seem like their history, their trajectory was was not on an uphill swing at that point. And then just for other stuff, so we, we already mentioned the political nature of it. And then also, oh, and also actually after, at, right before starting to write this, the band was actually thinking about breaking up. It was in major, it was in major conversation. And so it's pretty crazy. So what happened was, they recorded a few songs, like n- none of the songs on this album, and then the tape got stolen, or there was some, there was some debacle. The recording of it was gone, and so they were, of course, freaking out about it. But then their producer was kind of like, "Did did you really think that was good music? That's gone. It's <laughs> all right." <laughs> and they were like, "No, we don't." And so what they did was. Uh, so what they did was they each tried to make these 30-second pieces and outdo each other. They each composed and plays individual 30-second pieces. Oh, I had no idea about any of And those pieces became two of the songs that we're going to cover today. Interesting. And you will identify those yes, as we move yes, forward? And the, yeah, yes. And it's, it's this. And then I feel like another important thing is that this album is even – is probably the most thematically consistent album we've covered so far. For so, sure. um, and it is most definitely, I would identify it as two things. I would, I would identify it as it is a rock opera, which is what mm-hmm. you'll normally hear when you're reading about green day. And I would also call it in the best way possible. This is a Greek tragedy. Okay. Mm, interesting. Well, I, like I said, I don't know much about the themes in terms of lyrics and such. I definitely agree with the rock opera piece. And I am, I'm not at all anti-Who, but I'm not a huge Who fan, but I definitely hear a bunch of Who influences. I've digested a little bit of Who material. Um, I have not. Yeah. yeah. For... <laughs> okay. No, no, no. That, that's totally cool. Um, but for the listeners understand. Right, right. I definitely sense it, uh, the influence of the Who. Um, in these songs or in this um, uh, in this arena and it to me what's interesting about it is it sounds a lot like the who 
and it sounds a lot like Green Day, but I don't think that Green Day sounds a lot like The Who. I, I don't know if that totally makes sense, but... Sure. Well, as the experience <laughs> Who, listen. Um, <laughs> but, and just for, to clear up for listeners, so Greek tragedy is... Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it, it is a story where the main character loses in some form or fashion, and it's based off of their own flaws or hubris. And this is, like, this, this album is a story. This is a, like... We to bring it back to an album is an art form. This, oh, is for sure. this is the most prominent example I've ever seen of an album being an art form. It tells a story to the point where it became a Broadway musical that does in fact tell the story of the Jesus of suburbia. All right, and I feel like this is this is an, ready to transition to an appropriate time to, to American Idiot. Here we go. So the inspiration for both the so the inspiration for both the title of the album and the title of the song itself actually comes from uh, Billy Joe Armstrong was on was listening to the radio and it was an interview with the country singer and he's talking about how and because of course it's, so this is this is into the Iraq War so there so there was both the anti Bush and the very pro America mentalities are very high and oh. so it was this country singer talking about how he's very proud to be a redneck. And how Billy Joe Armstrong was like, how could you be proud to be? Because he perceived it as being blind to all of the the failings of the Iraq War. I wonder, it would, do, do you know the country singer? Was it Toby Keith? Uh, was not. Specific. He, he, okay, okay. Um, yeah, yeah, that would probably he, be bad for him. <laughs> yeah, he did not specifically. <laughs> okay. Billy Joe Armstrong is a little bit more class class than that. Um, which, which, by the way, does, is not saying much because I should have said in the beginning that one of the most stunning things that I will always remember, I saw them at Lollapalooza in 94, <laughs> and um, they were the opening act. They had just, just broken finally, and I promise you with all of my heart that um, one of the things that they did, well, they, 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 they totally sold it. They were the opening act, and the crowd, the crowd loved them, but one of the um, antics that they engaged in was um, Billy Joe and Mike Dirnt um, hawked loogies <laughs> to at each other and caught them and hawked <laughs> them back. <laughs> I, I promise you, I promise that I saw that. <laughs> so I don't know where we can go from there. But, <laughs> we can go into American Indian. Okay, so yeah, yeah. But so I'm just, we're just discussing the standards that Billy Joe has yes. of professionalism. Okay. So. Um, okay, so th- this whole album comes to we're gonna be. This might also be the album where we go, where, where I go when referencing other, other songs the most out of order. I tried to talk about these in a vacuum, but because of its storytelling nature, so this song is the prelude to, to um, <clears throat> the song is the prelude to Jesus of Suburbia in that it sets up because this whole album is the story of Jesus of Suburbia of mm. Jesus as he as he journeys through America and discovers the failings of both America and himself. And so this is supposed to outline the general philosophy of our of this character that we're following. This guy who sees the flaws in everything that has ultimately built America. And it's the, the lyricism is incredibly powerful and I would honestly compare it to the heights of Nirvana. 
Okay. Well, I would compare like this whole album to it. Oh yeah, I I, I think this album as a whole is stronger than the any Nirvana one. album. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just as a result of its cohesiveness more than anything oh, yeah. else. Um, you know, and not like, even, there's no. Yeah. I'm, I'm gonna. I love Nevermind, but to bash it, there's no there's no breed or there's no territorial pissing. Right, right. There's no like everything on this is tight, and not that but the guitar because I love Kurt Cobain's lyricism. His guitar is fine, but the guitar in this it feels like. An evolution. It's not the most impressive thing. Billy Joe Armstrong loves his power chords, right. but it does feel like someone saw Kurt Cobain and thought, "I'm going to take that to like 2.0." Well, yeah, just even the solo in this is so tastefully done and absolutely hummable to anyone who is not even a musician. I feel like, um, and I think that another beauty of this is. It is so profound and complex as a piece, but all of the songs are very, very simple when you break them down. Like, uh, you know, he loves his power. Chords. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That this particular song is not too challenging for, or should I say? Well, I want to keep everybody as sober as possible, so I'm going to stick with <laughs> not too challenging for a fairly novice guitar player. Um, the one thing, of course, you know, I don't listen to lyrics, but that kind of struck me re-listening to this is. He does use the F word in here. Which I was going to ask. What, what do you think about that? Um, because. Here. Go ahead. Go, well, you, you you asked me what I was going to yeah, think. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. I just want to outline also. Um, I, I'm i for it. In this, I'm for the use of the superlatives in this album. I think that it is wonderfully used from the perspective of someone who is generally pretty deranged. And from someone who is very anti-establishment. Okay, perhaps we're talking about the diff a different F word. No, we're talking about the gay one. Okay, okay. Because, okay, so the way I see it is, is that um, Billy Joe has always been way, way pro-gay rights, way before it was possibly even, you know, contemplated as being um, socially acceptable or a norm. In fact, in, in 96, when I saw them do Insomniac, they, they had a gay punk band open for them. And the, I'd, I'd never seen anything like that before. Um, and I feel like he, his intentions in 2004 um, in doing this were to identify himself as an ally. Yeah. And um, I still get the sense that that might not be something that he would do in 2021 if it were being rewritten. Because I don't think it has the same connotation um now that it did then uh, it's it's the, so I, I don't know i don't know i th i think that the moment when he says that i think that that moment of like whoa because when i was re-listening re this album i forgot because it's not the only song it's used in i mm. forgot that there were multiple songs and every time it's used i think that the punch makes the surrounding lyrics hit harder and it hits it makes the anger that that jesus that that this guy feels so much it hits so much harder and he does identify himself also that that's another yes. thing too. Oh, it's yeah, not exactly. it's not used as a pejorative about others yeah and i think that that also i i think and in, in i think it's becoming 
um, more problem or more challenging as we move forward. But I think the context is so important. And it is a shame that to think of this, this word outside of the context of what is being said in the same way, you know, kind of like picking apart a stand-up comedian who says a sentence, but not looking at all of the sentences around it or what the connotation was and assuming that it is immediately meant to be hateful. Um, I, I, I just, um, so, so I don't think I have a problem with it, but it did stick. It did stand out to me in ways that, and I remember it standing out to me before, but it's just, it feels different now. Um, have we, do, should we move? I believe, oh. Yes, I believe we are ready to move on to oh, uh, Jesus, Jesus of suburbia. suburbia. Here we go. So the fun thing about doing this is that – so the fun thing about doing this podcast in general is that this has now allowed me to to re-go over an album that, as I said before, had one of my favorite songs of all time on it in Boulevard of Broken Dreams. And due to the re-listening and due to knowing how cohesive of an album this is, uh, Jesus of Suburbia distinctly took that spot. Mm-hmm. It It is – this is a song that I can confidently say is in my top ten. Like of songs, it it is my this favorite is, Green Day song. Yes, this this song is inside and out a masterpiece. This is one of those songs that was um, made from the band uh, trying to outdo each other in totally thirty second sense. beats. Right. And even though it, they're all about a minute forty, minute forty five, uh, it's composed of five parts, and all these parts are titled by the band. Like this mm. is so the first part being Jesus of Suburbia and City of the Damned. I don't care. Dearly Beloved, and then Tales of Another Broken Home. Each of these break down this character, th- this character Jesus, in its own um, in its own beautiful way, showing the flaws of this character and foreshadowing how these flaws are going to destroy him by the end of this album. Yeah, th- well, this was the primary song that Jimbo um, wanted to highlight when when we did start listening to it. And he, this, this was the one where he was like, this is the one that you're going to be into. And um, I love it so much. I, I re- I've played this song over and over again because no part is that challenging, but trying to remember it all and how it all fits together is, um, is, is quite challenging and so rewarding when you, when you actually can do it and you know all the parts. Like, it ebbs and flows so, so beautifully um, and, um, and it's singable to that that's the other thing about all these songs is, and that one of the reasons why I was attracted to Green Day I don't necessarily have a voice that's as nice as Billy Joe's but it's but it's something I can physic that even as a novice I could physically actually play and actually sing together yep. um and so it really felt like an accomplishment when I put it all together what's interesting is I saw them in 2009 with another friend and um they were touring behind a different album and they had their encore and um this was the song that they played for the encore and they called someone up from the audience like a 12 year old kid billy joe gave him his guitar and the 12 year old kid i've seen similar videos nailed it 
And and the thing is, is like I said, none of the parts are necessarily that hard. Oh yeah, I, I've seen a video where he tells a kid like, you know, three chords, and oh. he's like, yeah, no, three. Like, oh, okay, then I guess you can play. <laughs> oh, like, that's Longview. Yeah, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. That um, and um, but but this one, it was it was so weird to me because I mean, obviously it's a little, it must have been a little bit planned, but it looked like it was spontaneous as far as who they called up, and to have the faith that somebody can pull off this nine minute song, even though, like I said, the parts are, it, it was very, very impressive at the time. And I was really glad because um, I am a total set list nerd and it was not, so that means that I, if I'm going to a show, I check out the pri- prior like three nights set lists or 10 nights set lists, depending on how crazy I want to be about it. And this was definitely like an audible in terms of, they were like, okay, well let's go with this one as that encore song. And the kid God bless him, nailed it. Um, now, the, the the secret is, though, also that when Green Day plays, the three of them are, like, on the main stage, but they also have a touring guitarist who's been with them for, like, 20 years who, you know, plays as well. And I think that they have a keyboard player, too, or just a multi-instrumentalist altogether. So there is another guitar player out there. He just doesn't have the, the lights shined on him necessarily. But they, he's not hiding necessarily in the bushes. But he does not get but the he's same. Not, he's a Billy Joe Armstrong. Right, right. You will not see him in band photos, even though he's always been there. And then just to push, just to push how cohesive of a song this is. So it begins with Jesus of Suburbia. It's about a minute forty, and it just kind of explains our title character, this character who we're going to interact with for the entire rest of the song. Then after that, it goes into City of the Damned. And this part of it, I like to think it focuses on. The, the 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 issues with them with the American values themselves mm-hmm. and how they destroy America, which is interesting. And then then it goes into I don't care, which is just pure nihilism. It's pure it's pure literally I don't care. This is I feel like this is the prelude to what is Saint Jimmy in, in mm-hmm. a few tracks down the line. And then after that you get Dearly Beloved, which is very interesting. Because Dearly Beloved after I Don't Care and City of the Damned, it feels like a cry for help. Right. It, it feels like like a, a cry for help from a hurt person. And then it also, I feel like it kind of establishes the soon-to-be relationship with What's-Her-Name. Mm-hmm. That really quick, that, that you, you can also see that there, there's this constant ask of where is What's-Her-Name before she's in, even introduced. And then after she inevitably leaves... Because this is a great tragedy, he's then again asking, "Where is what's her name?" Interesting. Yeah. the The thing, what you just struck, and I apologize once again. I do not have my notes this week. I will in the future. Um, but it struck me that one of my favorite lines in in it is during that city of the damned, and I may mangle it a little bit, which will make you doubt whether or not it's one of my favorite lines. But about. Um, I saw the graffiti in the bathroom stall. Yep. It was the holy scripture of the, the parking shopping, mall, shopping, the shopping mall. mall. And I, I remember that, that stuck out to me so much the first time that I heard it. And it does seem like such a, an example of the wasteland that suburbia is at least in the eyes of this character. Yeah. 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 Of just this lost cause that he needs to be, that he needs to be a spokesperson for. Right. He needs to tell people. That there's that, something more that, important than this. And that, that you can fix this, that things can be better and that he desperately wants to. And so he leaves, he leaves to do just that. 
And I believe that here's where we move on to Holiday slash Boulevard of Broken Dreams. Because it's broken up on the album, or rather because it's not broken up on the album, we're going to treat this as one piece. So here we go with Holiday, Boulevard of Broken Dreams. Okay, so Holiday slash Boulevard of Broken Dreams. As I said before... Um, the, the, the second track in this group used to be my favorite ever, like ever. And it was, and and it was very exciting to come to, to to come back to this and to come back to it, knowing, knowing the story aspect of this entire album, because when I only consumed it as it singles, it's hard to really see the story. You can really, mainly I, I was in like seventh grade. I could barely see the, I couldn't even see like the consistency of the whole thing. It just felt like five great tracks mm. so coming back to it knowing n- knowing what i know about the story aspect of it with holiday being this crazy th- this how about you start first and i'll i'll um further formulate my thoughts on holiday. Oh, go for how it you yeah. okay i um i dig so we're going to talk about them separately as, yes okay, yes even though yes. they okay yeah. um so i i love holiday uh i immediately loved it um, I do think that um, it is interesting in, in its uh, political nature because there is the breakdown that almost, yeah, yeah, that almost sounds uh, third Reiki. In oh, terms he, he says he got. Okay, he yeah, yeah. Got. I was gonna say I thought that there was. He does. There, yeah, I, I read the lyrics to, he, to the resident he, gas bag. Yeah, yeah, yeah gas yeah. man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, gas man, not gas bag. It doesn't matter. Okay, okay, okay. It's no. all it's all Hitler. <laughs> right, 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 right. And the notion of fascism um, coming. Um, is is so strong, but I, what drives me about this is that it sounds like a natural pop song, like a standard pop song, but it has those heavy, heavy themes to it. Yes, and that it was released as a single with that marching band sort of section as well, or the uh, you know, Sig Heil whole portion. Um, very, very, very strong and um, very opinionated. Uh, do, have you been able to formulate? Yes, I have. Your, been. Okay, okay, I, okay. I finally, I looked at my notes. Oh, so that, this song this must is, be nice. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so this song, it, it really did feel on the re-listen, It felt like a combination of the first half of Jesus of Suburbia and American Idiot, with it, w- w- um, uh, uh, with our main character actively speaking about the issues, and uh, in, in this time to to uh, to a broader audience. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you really feel that too. Um, the to uh, come back to the white stripes, the music video. The music video is very good. It's, I have not seen it's, it. I'm it's very like it's it, it's it's basically it's Billy it's Billy Drums or Mike Dernst and Trey Trey, Trey Cool. That's his name. Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, going or basically going around and they're partying and they're in all these different scenarios and you can kind of see their chaos and how they kind of try to sow the seeds of just general chaos and disorder. And it, it really does help. It, it's it's a very good video. Okay. It's very good. Okay. Yeah. And do you want to do Boulevard first or do you want me to say something? Uh, I will do Boulevard first. Okay, go for it. I think that this track um, is, even though I like Jesus of Suburbia now more, I like Boulevard more, I feel like, than when than, than when I was younger. No. Oh. Because, because now I know that this really, this is, this is the, this is basically the intro to the third act of the first 
act of this story. Would this we is say the, the third to... scene of the first? Sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah. I'm not big on the film, film, <laughs> film language, so <laughs> okay. I, I'm no Jimbo. So, right. so but, but, but yeah, this this is the third. This is the beginning of the of the third scene where you begin to see where, where we begin to see Jesus feel the consequences of living this life of being an individual and how when you're an individual you are lonely that's just the that is that is the greek tragedy of being an individual is that you are alone if you decide to truly be an individual Gotcha. Well, I'm so glad you're doing the lyrical analysis so I don't have to. I have really basic um, things to say about this song. Um, first of all, it's one of the ones that comes up that it's as somebody who has played in a couple of different bands and played a number of different songs, I always feel differently about songs that I have physically played before, kind of like when we were talking about Seven Nation Army. And so this is one that I've played many, many times in bands. And so it's always been really fun for me. I, I like the, there's a, the way that it, so at the very end has a really tight end and has like a slow, like plunging riff to kind of end it out. And then it goes dun dun just to close it out. So I, I, I love that part. I love it that, that people enjoy it. Um, the one little piece of trivia that I know about it is that um, it is the same chord progression as um, Wonderwall by Oasis. And I think that Wonderwall by Oasis has some sort of like record of the number of times that it's been played um, on Spotify and or YouTube, like like billion, like over a billion or something. Double like checking. That. Okay, and um, I think that there is that there's something to the um, the similarity that make that has us drawn to it. Now, of course realistically none of these groups are inventing these chord progressions these chord progressions are chord progressions for you know tons of different songs but i do think that there's something significant to um the sim similarity over the course right. of on like Spotify? 10 different years yeah i wonder was at 1.2 billion and checking youtube right now okay 1.2 billion that's stunning i mean elon musk would you know lift his leg on that but it's a pretty stunning number Okay. While you're doing that, yeah. What um what uh, 408 million. 408 million. A, a, a measly a measly. Oh my goodness. <laughs> my goodness. They 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 got to come talk to us about our numbers. Um triple digits. Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Any, anyway, um we should move on to um are we the waiting in St. Jimmy? Here we go. Yes. Are we the waiting? This is the one that really shows how much. So, so this is at the point where Jesus has really and truly realized that he is alone and how much he wants someone to share his ideals with, and he has just fallen into 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 depravity for it. And it is the perfect intro for 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 quite possibly the most chaotic character in this story, being Saint Jimmy. However, but, what do you think of Are We The Waiting? So Are We The Waiting also love, 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 love. Um, I think it's simple to love it because it is only three chords. And it's it's the sort of song that I know is a thrill to play live and have people shouting along to it. It is the, it is the best, as far as I'm concerned, it's the best anthem 
on the album in terms of getting crowd participation or getting that that sense of desire and longing i think is so palpable in this song i i think this this song could translate um in many different genres to many different people i I don't feel the same way about the rest of the songs on the album necessarily but i think that this this is the most primal of the songs and reminiscent to me of the who again your favorite band um that (laughs) i I can think of um you know green or billy joe doing um pete townsend's um uh Shoot! All of a sudden, I can't think of what it's called. But if you know I'll anything, about, that. yeah, yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you know anything about Pete, Pete Townsend, the windmill, as far as he was famous for um, whipping his arm like that to oh, do yeah. the power yeah, chords, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. And that this song screams windmill to me. Um, and then Saint Jimmy, the most chaotic, is what we're saying, yeah. right? Oh, chaotic uh, character, chaotic character. So also, just to throw in one last thing. Um, so, so, are we the waiting? Also, it feels like the end of Act One. Mm-hmm. It feels like the end of Act One and all this, and its slowness does help with that. And then leading into the the loudness of Saint Jimmy, it really does help. It feels like the end of the beginning, the, the end of the beginning of Jesus' story, where he then becomes Saint Jimmy. Okay, so that just just for a second, before you get into the Saint Jimmy thing, it, 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 it we haven't yet talked about why they put these together necessarily. Oh. But I research that. Yeah, well, no, I I don't know that there is an objective answer, but I agree with you that it does seem like the end of the first um act. But then why would they have it continue within the same track to the second act? Because it's very similar the change to the to the Queen album from last week. My answer is gonna be very reminiscent of um the very end of this uh, wonderful little, little series on Netflix called Bojack Horseman. Oh, okay. Where oh, oh it's do you, do you remember the hokey pokey scene? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, at the, for sure. It's yeah. at the very end yeah. where – so what happens is Bojack is talking to his friend, and Bojack's saying, I'm in prison for – and he's saying, like, I'm trying to stay sober one day at a time, and it's hard. I don't know what I'm going to do. And then uh, his friend just kind of goes, well, now that you're sober, you just turn – you you know, you turn yourself around, and that's what it's all about. Mm-hmm. And Bojack's like, did you see the Hokey Pokey song <laughs> like, as, a way to, as a way to motivate me? And he's like, yeah. That's that's probably what the people intended when they made the Hokey Pokey song. And he's mm-hmm. like, there's no way that's what people thought when they made the Hokey Pokey song. Mm-hmm. And then Todd's like, well, it doesn't really matter because if you can get something positive out of art, then it doesn't really then it then it then that's good. That's the message you got. And it's it's a this scene is kind of supposed to be let your interpretation of art is what it is. So I think it's just to show the rough transition from one mental state to another. From the ultimate depravity to uh, to finding to to finding a new self within your own self, being Saint Jimmy. Mm, okay, and so Saint Jimmy musically. So Saint, I love Saint Jimmy musically. I love I love I think Green Day is at its best when it's fast and when it's fast. Okay, I, I found it to be the least approachable. I still like it. Uh, um, I I think that it is t- to me. Uh, again, you you've got a course the philosophy and analysis that goes beyond me but um for me i think it's fascinating that they put the the most oh shoot i got to use it again the most approachable <laughs> song and they sandwiched it with what i believe is probably the least approachable song on the, on the album to a non-green day fan or you know i are we the waiting once again i feel like has broad commercial appeal saint jimmy does not but i do think it is introducing that chaos 
Yes. And and I'm glad that I didn't do too much research because to be honest, I thought Saint Jimmy was a different character, and I thought that Saint Jimmy was and the main. That's, yeah, that's what I, th- we'll get into that later. But that's that's what I love about how it's written is how Saint Jimmy is such in and of it. Saint Jimmy is its own character. It really in the mind of our protagonist Jesus, he is a character. And also just to throw in um, a, a little bit more logic behind my Greek tragedy statement. To quote, it's, like, it's it's a comedy and tragedy like that, that that's in one of the last lines of the song okay is explaining is it in explaining the tale of his life is it's it's comedy and it's tragedy okay interesting okay ready give me nova kane and she's a rebel Give me Novocaine, the ultimate begging for what's her name to be in St. Jimmy's life. Well, no, 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 it's not even for, so what I interpreted this as was it's not St. Jimmy. So, okay, reset. Now, you don't have to cut that. That was just me talking to myself, reset. Okay, okay. So, <laughs> so this is the first showing that St. Jimmy is this thing that Jesus calls on. Jesus wants St. Jimmy to give him motivation in life. St. Jimmy is his Novocaine. He is this thing that makes life this, that he can use in life to be functional and to do things and to have a purpose. And when St. Jimmy isn't active, that's when he desperately wants what's her name, which is why I think it's so great that they combine She's a Rebel rebel and Give Me Novocaine. Okay, but so what do you think musically? So g- give me Novocaine. Well, here's the thing. This is where I was going to get into my own lyrical analysis just because um, give me Novocaine. I, see, I would have thought pain reliever rather than um, than some sort of protagonist. Oh, I, oh, I th- uh, oh yeah, I think that Save Jimmy me. acts as a pain reliever. Okay. He's in pain because he can't do anything. Okay, So okay. St. Jimmy is this thing. It is something that allows – it gives him purpose. Okay, yeah. Um Beautiful song, uh, Beautiful perfect, song. perfectly written. Um, feels like it was just delivered to uh, Billy Joel, and um, then she's a rebel is a um, like a, uh, a rev first, up. Yep, in our first meeting of what's her name? Oh yeah, and and definitely um, the opposite of Novocaine, but like adrenaline. I feel like that's what we what he gets pumped for. Yes, of. yeah, and th- this is a what's her name is a character who. Who, as she shows up, she is a character that is that, that is, so Billy Joe cited in. Well, first off, what's her name is a real person, and Billy Joe said that she. I don't remember what the other, but he referenced in a tweet like three other songs that this same girl inspired oh. from different albums. That's why I don't remember them is because none of them were. Gotcha. Well, and the she's a rebel thing I think is a great way to break out of Jesus of suburbia. Yes. So that's that is exactly the sort of. Um, inspiration that's needed to kill the doldrums and emptiness of that suburbia. Exactly. Oh, exactly. And yeah, this character is like in the song as feeding off of St. Jimmy. This is a character who is attracted to St. Jimmy. But then, of course, Jesus has the issue being that he cannot always be St. Jimmy because he is inherently Jesus of suburbia. And so it's this strange it's, it's this strange scenario in their relationship where there's this aspect of them that comes out sometimes that she loves. Then there's other, but then there's this other aspect being Jesus that she can't help but pity because all he does is want change while Saint Jimmy 
Max advocate, for change. Ad, yeah, he yeah. advocates for change. Exactly. All right. So, um, extraordinary girl slash letter bomb. So both these songs, what I really like is that they both start out really quiet mm-hmm. with a really like a light tapping or mm-hmm. a little tune, and then they go loud, mm-hmm. and then they go quickly loud. For me, "Extraordinary Girl" sounds the most Beatles influenced, and I think it might be because of the harmonies in it. But there's, it sounds like Help era Beatles to me, with obviously you know turn of the century um, instrumentation and such. But if if I if you look at the framework of the song and the the melody. Uh, and the harmonies, it sounds it sounds very Beatles influenced. With my light Beatles influence, I would have said um, "Wake Me Up When September Ends" as feeling the most Beatles influenced. Uh, well, I can see where where one would say that. Um, I, I I disagree, but I can see I can see an influence there. Um, anything to say about Letter Bomb? Um, I well, actually, just I think "Extraordinary Girl" is a great little. It's just I feel like it's just. Um, juxtaposition just to emphasize what's her name's role in mm-hmm. St. Jamie's life. I, I feel like um, I would just be repeating myself if I, okay, well then letter bomb. I, I presume oh. that, that lyrically something changes because yes. obviously the entire tone changes when we come to the next song. So oh, yes, can you tell letter me Letter bomb is the leaving? Well, oh, 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 first off. So letter, letter bomb in the Broadway version of this album is because again, this was, this is a Broadway play. Mm. Which I would I would actually pay for tickets to go see this. I, that would be really cool. Yeah. Um, this was sung by what's her name? So this so so every time you say that I get distracted. I'm like I don't know. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. What, what is her name? Go on. I, uh, um. Uh, uh, and 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 so well. First off, what listening to this made me realize is that Letterbomb, Extraordinary Girl, and She's a Rebel all parallel a song that also broke down. Um, that also kind of broke down Jesus. Okay. So and so I said that uh, so I said that um, letter bomb kind of parallels Holiday and Saint Jimmy with the craziness and the explaining how she is this force of action in the same way that Jesus and Holiday and Jesus when he becomes Saint Jimmy is this force for action and then she's a rebel kind of parallels American Idiot mm-hmm. because it's this showing of her it's here's what she kind of thinks here's how she processes the world and here's how it's different from everybody else. And then Extraordinary Girl kind of parallels Boulevard of Broken Dreams because it's about how she, she's this extraordinary girl in an ordinary world. She, like Jesus, is lonely. And, mm. and because she's an individual, and she wants to be an individual, but because she's an individual, she's lonely. Ooh, that's the ultimate. That's the human exactly. issue right there, yeah. isn't that's it? That's the ultimate, and I love, like, the, I, I, I want to call it almost a twist ending of this album it is so it, it is a Greek tragedy through and through. It is so good. And letter bomb. I'm just trying to, I mean, I mean, yeah, it parallels holiday in St. Jamie. It is this where she is calling for action. She is calling for active change. And she's saying you're not even up yeah, to you, what you, you, you aren't doing it. It's only this aspect of you that does it in this aspect. As long as it's only an aspect of you, it's not enough. It has to be you. It is not, it's not over until it's over. And so you have to be fully committed until until you're in the ground until you're in the ground. Interesting. Okay. Well, now to the Beatles tune. 
to the beast. Wake me up when September ends. Summer has come and passed. The innocent can never last. Wake me up when September ends. Do you know the inspiration for the... Yeah, his dad passed. And do, do you know, like, the actual... Like, that's, that's what he told his mom. Oh, no, I didn't know that. The day after the funeral. Because no. he died on September 1st. No, I don't know that. I know that it's it's very a uh, significant song for yeah, him, and and I know that there that there's some sort of um, meme yeah, situation like, yeah. with it. Tell the Green Day guy that September's over. Right, 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 and um, and that he has like actively said, please stop doing that. Yeah. And I also know that this this in addition to um, Earth, Wind, and Fire song September. Like, if you look at the stats for when they're listened to, like, it goes up like a hundred times more during September and then, you know, flips back down to normal. Yeah. Um, this, for our two listen rule, this one is probably, I, I love the song so much, but because of the, the emotion behind it, it was a rough one to mm. have to listen to. It, it was definitely a, thankfully, this is also one of the, of the five songs, I've all the singles, and this was a single, so I'd put some listening into it before. I was pretty confident I could go solo notes with this mm-hmm. one. And it's also the only one that has nothing to do with Jesus of Suburbia. Okay, good. I, you know what? I was going to say that it definitely stands out as being separate from everything else. But that was also why I was curious about Letter Bomb, what your if, oh, yeah. if, if there was if there was some something associated with that. Um I but, did my research. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, I appreciate that. Um, so oh, yeah, like he, he had this cooking for like a decade. Oh yeah. Like, oh yeah. He just didn't feel, he just didn't feel ready to put it in any other albums before this one. Well, it's interesting that you made the Beatles thing. Cause I started thinking about it more after, after you said that, and there is a thing that he does. So he does the descending thing. And if, if you know anything about music, when I say descending, it just means it goes one note lower and one note lower and one note lower. Right. Right. Yeah. I'm not humming, but you can do it. I can do that. Uh, okay. Okay. But, but, Grace here. Grace can do it. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, but then, then it moves to the, the thing that's probably the Beatles thing is after it does that descending thing, it goes to C major. And then the next chord is C minor which is a total Beatles thing. Um, you know, most other people would change it to a totally different chord, but it fundamentally changes the tonality of, of the song that way. So I think that's probably your your Beatles connection. So I apologize. I was thinking of the initial strumming pattern, thinking that doesn't sound like the Beatles, yeah. but I'm sure the C, C minor thing is exactly what you were thinking of. That, that was definitely that definitely an aspect of it. And I think I think we are ready to move on to Homecoming. Homecoming, here we go. This song was also written in five parts. Then this song, this song was actually the first one that was written when the band was doing their "See Who Can Jam the Most in Thirty Seconds." Mm-hmm. This was the first one that was written. This is the first one that came of it, which is crazy because it's because I mean it's it's the end of Jesus's arc. In mm-hmm. the it is a, it's also a five parter, uh, beginning with the death of Saint Jimmy, followed by East Twelfth Street. Which is that that one that um the uh, title by that one is because in 
um, I think 2000, 2002, um, Billy Joe Armstrong was arrested for drunk driving and they took him to, um, and then they took him to a place on 12th street, 12th okay. street, New York. So that's East 12th street. Then part three, nobody likes you followed by rock and roll girlfriend. And then we're coming home again. And we're coming home again. Definitely has the same. Are we the waiting feel oh, to me yeah. for sure. And, um, such a, such a gorgeous, this is such a great, um, I would say climax to the album that yes. this, this, if, if this were a concert, I would say they walk off stage as this song ends. Yes. Um, there's still one more song on the official, um, uh, album, but, but that this feels like the end of, uh, now this is not the same as, um, last week. I don't necessarily envision, you know, Miss Piggy and Kermit, the P Kermit the Frog, uh, dancing along <laughs> to the end of this. But, um, I also, um, think that it's interesting that they use the tagline the whole nobody likes you everybody hates you and i can't help but everybody every time think you know why don't you eat some worms even though i know that that isn't what the, what they say but that is that's that is the same like refrain of that nobody likes you everybody hates you why don't you just eat some worms yeah. or, um but th this this one is magnificent it is almost as magnificent as Jesus of Suburbia to me. Um, for some reason, Jesus of Suburbia um, grips me more. I feel like the, the parts are more... Um, well, I think that the fact that it's the beginning of our character's story helps it grip. Mm -hmm. The fact that there is this... It is this character who has been who has been motivated to go on this crazy journey, and we learn about this insane character. And then this is the, this is the ending. And the cool, the cool thing about Greek tragedies is that they don't have to end in a spectacular way for them to be Greek tragedies. Mm -hmm. They just have well, to end. Yeah, in a way, it's it's, it's even more, more tragic, tragic exactly. if, they, if it does. Yeah, right. exactly, because in particular this one. So we begin with the death of St. Jimmy, where, where basically Jesus loses St. Jimmy. He loses this aspect of his in his head that kind of caused – that has motivated him to change. And then all the rest of the songs are just all the rest of the aspects are really just him becoming mundane him giving into suburban life with the with the kind of the final with the final gasp being rock and roll girlfriend uh, written by which this one's written by Trey Cool that makes sense written and to sung me. by him May, okay you know, yes yes okay written and sung by him where it's kind of supposed to be. This this last gasp, this last like, even though it's all a failure, we had some good times when we were doing it. We got a rock and roll girlfriend. We got a rock and roll. We got a rock and roll life. We got like it's all but of the also alimony and also alimony. <laughs> but it's the it is all of the all of the uh, all, all of these small successes within this ultimate failure of a journey. But how there were some fun times had along the way. But then of course it ends with we're coming home again, where he comes back to where he left mm -hmm. and he's kind of changed, but really no, nothing has changed. And he, he, all that's really happened is he is accepted. He's been beaten down by he's life. He's been beaten down by life. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. It's interesting. It feels like this has a, a combination of a catcher in the rye feel, at least in the beginning, there's some definite hold and call feels um, stuff. I feel like, but it kind of ends like a death of a salesman. Yep. Yeah. I would <laughs> distinctly call it. Right. Okay. So, and we close out the official album with what's her name?
is the end. This is, I like to imagine that this song kind of takes place, because it's fun to think of it as a story, that this takes place years after Jesus has lost Jimmy, after he's returned, and he has now, and he's just doing what he periodically does. He's remembering what's her name, and he's wishing he could remember her name. He's wishing that he didn't destroy everything, that he didn't burn the photo, wishing that he didn't burn the photographs, wishing that he could have been more motivated to cause change with her. And he's wondering, did she end up with what's his face? And just, it's just, it it is the, it it, it is the post. It is the epilogue. Right. No, most definitely is. And it is um, so sad and it contributes to that whole death of a salesman thing or the, um, there's the, there's the Pink Floyd quote, which is also like an old poet's quote of something about how, um, oh, shoot. Uh, Englishmen living lives of quiet desperation. Is, oh, yeah, oh, living yeah. a life of quiet desperation is the English way, and I feel like that's this is ending with that that longing for what what I could have done or what I could have been, and uh, I think that there's an insinuation that that's that's life. I think as we've indicated before that that's that's kind of what the theme is that's going on. Yes. Um, so, you know, to close out, there are three extra tracks that are bonus tracks on Spotify. And I thought that they were they were fascinating. Um, we decided we weren't going to go over each of them in the same detail that we've gone through all our other songs. But I just want to give a shout out to um, Too Much Too Soon, I think is a killer song that yes. would be great on any Green Day album. I'm stunned that they chose that rather than just shelve it for a little bit and put it on an album that they decided to include it as a bonus on this this yeah like like this that song felt made for revolution radio yeah it could have been it could have been a single on any of their albums so i'm surprised by that perhaps to entice people to um buy the deluxe version maybe it was released as a single or something like that to say buy this deluxe version i thought it was great stands out shoplifter um i thought was decent uh it sounded like it would have come on the warning um album it's probably from those recording sessions um, one of the ones that didn't get stolen. One of the no, no, from but the warning sessions. The the no, no, the the the, pri- the previous oh, yeah, album. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And then Governor is is just a nightmare. It's, it's just horrible. I, I I'm stunned that they recorded it. I, I don't know who wrote it. I don't know who sang it. I don't. Know I did I did zero um, research on these okay. three because I I don't I don't want to besmirch Billy Joe Armstrong. Yeah, no, I, it, I love this album too much. It was horrible. So the first two, first one, hot, yes. Uh, to yeah yeah good governator's terrible it's terrible terrible uh, um and I, i'm really pleased that this uh that this was an album that i chose but i feel like you did most of the talking so it sounds like you've done a lot of research on this yes um, this this is my favorite album by far that we have covered and in my top probably three albums ever oh my goodness well i'm glad that i picked a good one now that you know that does set up a little bit of competition for you um what is it that you think you're gonna go with so we're gonna go kind of easy street for the next week we're gonna go george ezra wanted on a voyage oh very nice i i have fond memories of this album i'll be curious to hear um how many people know about this album feel free to send us a tweet at btg podcast one two three and don't and forget to check out the song of the day song of the day at our at our uh twitter feed please pl- please make sure to follow us if you follow us we'll follow you and I'd like to end by saying uh, once in a while you get shown the light in the strangest of places if you look at it right.